John Freer is with CFM Local News. He's a reporter in the Coromandel Peninsula. Always good to catch up with you, John. Good morning. Good morning, Catherine. We'll get the, the I was going to say the annual, but it's uh, it's going quicker than that. The catch-up on the annual report on State Highway 25A. Are there good pro- is there good progress being made at the moment, John? Well, it seems that way, Catherine. You know, we're hearing good news out of Whakakotahi about the amount of work that's being done uh, on the road. And as you're aware that roads are pretty important up here, if you have to be somewhere or go somewhere, you're reliant on a road. Coming out of 25A, they've already told us that the bridge piling crews have now completed the work that they've got to do. So that means pretty much everything's out of the ground. Uh, We're just waiting for steel spans that are being constructed in Napier. Uh, They're pretty much en route to come up here. And I was talking to a a chap who's involved in the roading industry uh, uh, recently, and he said the good thing is now that it's pretty much just like a Meccano set where the whole lot gets to be assembled. So I don't want to ask the big question, but yes, the progress seems to be really good. All right. Now the big question is when, isn't that right? Um. The, well, I've um, agreed not to ask that question just yeah, yet. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, what's happening, by the way, with cost management and where the funding's coming from? Well, there's a pretty important meeting going on in uh, Wellington as we speak, uh, the Wakakotahi Board is meeting. And out of that meeting, according to our Mayor Len Salt, the $6 billion that was set aside for roading recovery, uh, those were sort of areas like the East Cape, Hawke's Bay, part of Auckland and ourselves, that's going to be divvied up today. So I think people are sitting waiting with anticipation to see how much of that money that we receive so that it can be reinvested into both the state highway and the local roading network around the Coromandel Peninsula. Now, staying with that, this matters because there's a big mission to get the tourists and the visitors back. It's such a lifeblood of the economy. Yeah, we've, we've talked before about how sort of adversity can bring people together. And uh, you've really seen that over the peninsula over the last six months. Um, you know, the big thing here at the moment is there still is a perception that, yep, it's a great place to go. But if it rains, am I going to get stuck there? And they've coined this phrase rain anxiety, would you believe? And uh, that's, of course, as I said, that's about people sort of potentially coming here and then fearful that they may get stuck if there is a rain event. Uh, Are you seeing signs of, um, uh, you know, just give us an idea of the sort of build-up you would expect school holidays at the moment, for example, John. Uh, How are the numbers comparing? School holidays, I think, are not as what we would normally expect at this time of the year. Um, Some shops and accommodation providers have been busy, but just talking to the chairman of the Mercury Bay Business Association yesterday, she said numbers are down. But the encouraging thing is, Catherine, that we've now got six business associations, and I think we've discussed this previously, that have been established around the peninsula. Uh, They've received collectively about $330,000, which is being used to stimulate people to come back. Now, It's been really encouraging because uh, about three weeks ago, we saw the return of the Fidianga Oceans Festival, which attracted nearly 4,000 people. Now, that hasn't actually been able to be run for the last couple of years. Tomorrow, we've got a big street party in Whangamata. So you can sort of see there's a large number of events that are being uh, utilised to stimulate people to come into the area. 
You mentioned the rain anxiety. Just tell us more about what's being done to try and counter that. Well, I think it goes back to try and get uh, some stimulus through the establishment of events. Uh, the local destination Hauraki Coromandel have been looking at initiatives with the business associations that they can implement to make sure that the people come back for the summer holidays. But, you know, it, it is pretty cool. We, we look at Mercury Bay. Uh, they've never had a major air show before. They're doing that at Labor Weekend and there's aircraft flying in from all around the country. We've even got a scooter competition planned. We've got Wings and Wheels and Thames, Steampunk in November, a Celtic Fair in Coromandel. Uh, the only real concerning part of all this is unfortunately what is one of our major international destinations in Cathedral Cove. That remains closed and it won't be open for Christmas. Uh, so that has a sort of a downstream impact on potential inbound tourism. A lot of the tourist operators, the international tourist operators are planning their programs for the next two years. So there is some uncertainty, Catherine, around whether or not that is going to have an impact uh, down the stream for our international tourists. How's your election going in your district, John? Oh, like everywhere else, Catherine, of course. <laughs> We're all brimming with We've... enthusiasm and excitement. <laughs> oh, we are. Well, I've attended three Meet the Candidates meetings around the area. Uh, over recent times, we've got seven candidates that are standing. Um, we've been graced by the presence of Winston Peters and Liz Gunn. We haven't seen the two Chris's yet. Uh, they obviously both visited before campaign got underway. But yeah, look, uh, like most of the country, I suppose, the the issues around here are the cost of living. Uh, obviously, with the demographic of our community, there's a lot of concern about health care, uh, ongoing health care. Um, yeah, so interesting times. Um, Scott Simpson, of course, has been our local MP since 2011. And I was talking to him this morning and, you know, he mentioned the area around healthcare. He said, Thames Hospital, for instance, there's been a report that came out for four nights in a row. They didn't actually have an ED doctor uh, operating uh, or working the, during those uh, days at Thames Hospital. So, yeah, there is a lot of concern, Catherine, about what is happening with the health sector. It's been a national stronghold for decades, hasn't it? It was uh, Sandra Gowdy before Scott Simpson, was it? It was, actually, yeah, and I think um, Murray McLean before her. Obviously, the Greens had it for a period. That's right, of course. Um, yeah, yeah, so that was... You're seeing, so you're seeing um, you've got some visitors, but, but not uh, not the top two Chris's. They're all perhaps a little bit busy at the moment. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, well. Just finally, the um, tell me a little bit more about the Thames Treasury Research Centre and Archive. I'm not familiar with this. What is this facility, please? This is an amazing facility which, uh, as it states, archives a lot of information, and it's been doing this for a number of years. Uh, there was a trust that was formed a number of years back in the, I think it was the old courthouse or one of those buildings, but the Thames Treasury Research Centre and Archive, they've been archiving a lot of the local documentation from around the region that dates back to 1850. And uh, it is quite an incredible facility. There's only one other like it in the country, and that is in Hawke's Bay. But unfortunately, they've fallen on hard fi financial times. And uh, at the moment, they just can't raise the money to keep the facility open. Uh, 
Um, you know, it's a bit of a tragedy because it has got a lot of uh, local and national historical information that is st stored and archived there. But yeah, it's just under harsh times, uh, Catherine. They're having trouble keeping their doors open. So, goodness, um, is it is it entirely just a, a not for profit trust? Is it volunteers essentially? There's a section of both. There's a large number of volunteers that work in terms of the governance and also doing the work. They do obviously have paid employees that go in there to do the archiving work. Um, but, you know, there's things like the issues, the humidity-controlled archives cost about $12,000 a year. Um, they've had some unexpected uh, expenses crop up. There's $40,000 to replace a fire system. There's another $55,000 required for um, upgrading their computer system. The local council came to the party last week and have given them $15,000, which will enable to clear some debts that they already have. But whether or not they can continue beyond uh, the end of November is anybody's guess. It's a pretty nice building I'm looking at here, although it's clearly got uh, it's it's been polished up for the for the homepage. But uh, is that a factor as well? Do they own the building or? I'm not sure to tell you the yeah. truth. I can't answer that question. Is it right but, in you know, town? Know, is it? <clears throat> yeah, it's right on. Uh, it's, it sits on State Hende State Highway 25A, which sort of runs through town in Thames. Yeah. So yeah, it's quite a prominent building. Category 2 building by the New Zealand Historic Places Trust. Well, he's hoping that someone rises to the rescue because what a wonderful initiative um, to be now under threat. Thanks very much, as always. That's John Freer. He is CFM local news reporter based in the Coromandel Peninsula.